Hey, this is Bill Dwyer. Hanging on to my Hollywood dream by my fingernails. I sing the truth, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's comedian Mark Norman. So it's been just the news cycle now is just constant constant ammunition for jokes so it's uh fun because sometimes you're just sitting around going all right i need a joke what's funny and I, if you do that you'll never find anything funny been about a year and a half since we spoke to mark he is doing well I had a really funny conversation with him we have a song of the week coming up from weezer but as but first as always a dumb bit Time for another installment of What Kind of Nonsense Is That? So I was coming back from one of my many jobs. I had a little late night shift the other night, and it's 11 o'clock at night. I flip on uh, 1100 from Cleveland, the AM news radio station out of Cleveland. I'm down here in Cincinnati, but uh, it'll always be 3WE to me. It's WTAM now, but when I was a kid, it was 3WE, and well, it's just going to be that way forever. But anyway, so uh, whatever show is on, and I'll tell you what the show is in a second, uh, they're coming out of a uh, commercial break and playing this montage of sounds, and they play this clip. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. You all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams, my childhood with your empty words. And when you hear something like that, uh, no matter what the context, on an AM radio station at 11 o'clock at night, nothing good is going to follow that. And that's my first inclination. And boy, I was right. So the show is called Ground Zero. It's hosted by a guy called Clyde Lewis. And, um, you know, that, of course, is Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old climate activist from, ooh, I forget which country she's from now. Is it Norway? Is it Sweden? I don't remember now. I, how embarrassing. But anyway, uh, she gave that speech before the UN that was that was taken from, along with that nice uh, musical mashup behind it. Throw your hands in the air, Clyde Lewis. Woo! All right. So anyway... So a caller calls in and he says, uh, the guy says, well, you know, I got some friends who are scientists and say, you know, the global warming is actually happening. And by the way, this whole three-hour show, it turns out, was was about climate change. And uh, dude rolls out with this. And when you have a, a, a you know, you have right. a 16-year-old girl telling you, you better watch out because you're going to do this whether you like it or not. That's not liberty. That's called forcing. That's called mandatory doing what we say. And I'm not taking orders from a 16-year-old Hitler youth. I'm just not going to do it. Yes, according to Clyde Lewis, if you're a young person concerned about your planet, you want to commit genocide. They're all they're perfectly connected. I, I, it's astonishing. So, uh, yeah. And so I, I did a little uh, Googling, because you can do that now. And I looked up these Nazi fillers, and uh, this is the first thing I found, just Googling it. And uh, here's this. These pictures, taken almost in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower, bear grim witness to Nazi inhumanity. German bullets tearing their way through the bodies of helpless victims have cut these execution posts to shreds. In this disused rifle range, soundproofed to stifle screams, Gestapo men burned Parisians at the stake to extort information. See the handprints of those who tried to escape the flames, their eyes blindfolded with heavy bandages. A fallen rosary bears testimony to the faith of one who, steadfast under torture, refused to give information. From the evidence of a captured Nazi and of these coffins standing ready for new victims, French officials reconstruct a horrible story. Parisians stand mutely by as the bodies of their tortured comrades are unearthed. They will never forget the horrors of Gestapo Inquisition. 
So yeah, that's what you're in for. If you're concerned about the planet, if you're a 16-year-old kid who, who may very well live probably at least into probably with modern medicine, into her 80s, 90s, barring, you know, accident or illness. Um, yeah, and if you're concerned about the environment, well, then you're one of these Nazi fellers. It's clean as day. And I'm not taking orders from a 16-year-old Hitler youth. What kind of nonsense is that? Mark Norman is a stand-up comedian originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. He's based in New York City now and headlines comedy clubs and theaters across the country. Here now is our interview with Mark Norman. Hello. Hello, Mark. Hey. How's it going? Uh, you know, a little hungover, a little gay. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, uh, good to talk to you again. So, um, I was looking up what we spoke about last time, and uh, I forgot you were, uh, you're from New Orleans originally. Born and raised, baby. There you go. Uh, in the city, suburbs, what area did you grow up in? I grew up in uh, the Treme area. It's a kind of a rougher part of town, or was then. And uh, my dad bought a dilapidated mansion in a poor black neighborhood. And uh, we were the white family. Wow. And uh, where's that in relation to like the rest? Like how would I? I know the Garden District. I know the French Quarter. And then I'm okay. completely lost. It's right outside the French Quarter. Like okay, it's the first neighborhood outside of. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Desplanade Avenue and all that. It's right, right, right there. Like we would walk to the quarter. My parents ran a bed and breakfast, so that was like our big feature. Like oh neat. Four blocks from the French Quarter, or whatever. There you go. Yeah, we uh, well, we were there uh, just last fall, celebrating my daughter's twenty first birthday. She, wow. Uh, she switched from Vegas uh, to wanting to have it in New Orleans, so we stayed in the Garden District, and uh, it was so much fun. We loved it. All right. Yeah. Well, wow, good, cool dad. I, we got to well, mom's decision, but thanks. <laughs> we um, we even got to see. Uh, there was a wedding on the street we were staying, and they did the thing where they parade down the street with the, with the band and stuff. It was really cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, we got, got oh, the, the second line. Yeah, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. So uh, yeah, we really got our really got our money's worth. I think there uh, in New Orleans. So um, yeah. And, and another thing we talked about was you uh, were originally interested in, in filmmaking when you were younger, before going into stand up. Has has that been rekindled at all now that you've gotten your your stand up career sorted, or are you still is it still too much of a headache as you had mentioned last time? Uh well yeah it's too much of a headache. I, I like I love movies. I love. Uh, film and cinema and all that queef. but uh yeah it's just so much and i hate the equipment i hate the lights and like the, the cameras and the the sound guy and all that it's, <laughs> it's like literally trucks worth of equipment you gotta have a grip and a gaffer and all this i hate all that uh that's why you know if i shot a movie i would just shoot it on my iphone i was just gonna say day. yeah have you had a notion to do that at all have you done anything like with with the new technology and stuff I've thought about it, but uh, it's so time-consuming and like everything is so expensive. You know, every you got to get an editor, and the editor is eighteen yeah. million dollars an hour, and all that. So, like, I get it. I like it. I love the editing. I love the process. I love putting it all together. But I don't know. I just uh, if I was a millionaire, I would do it. But right now, it's too time-consuming, and you got to book everybody, book the actors, actors. Oh, that's true. Worst. Yeah. That there is, no, it's a whole thing. Even with technology, you can't escape certain factors, I guess, of the process. 
And, yes, uh, I like the minimalism of stand-up. I like that there's no... You show up, the mic is there, I got the jokes in my back pocket, and I put on a funny face, and we're good to go. <laughs> don't have to lug anything around, don't have to have yeah. a, any, no roadies. Just your, just your insecurities. <laughs> good one. Um, so, like, what is new with you, man? It's been, like, I think it must have been over a year since we've spoken, because it was, you know, before my daughter's big birthday trip. Um, what's new with you? Oh, uh, you know, just living the dream, doing the road. I did Fallon, I did Rogan, I did uh, some TV stuff, Conan. So I've been around just doing, trying to write new material, trying to be a better comic, you know, blowing people, whole thing. <laughs> easy, easy. So um, having done all those different shows, I always hear like, you know, some guys end up doing the same show, uh, you know, couple months apart and things like that and other guys like you get to do multiple shows is the process different because i've heard different things about how different shows operate some some shows show up at your stand-up gigs and say we'd like you to do that chunk and others will say well let's do this joke this joke and this joke to try to how to put your tv set together or is everyone pretty you know free form these days how does that work uh i think for me i think the uh i've done colbert conan fallon and corden so i think they know like if they book me, I don't take it seriously. I'm a lunatic. I'm a <laughs> perfectionist. So I think they know. Like, all right, this guy is kind of a. Lo- I don't want to say he's a lock, but he's gonna really go for it. He's not gonna half-ass this. I'm gonna buy a suit. I'm gonna put the the time together, put the jokes together, have an opening and closing. So it's pretty. Uh, it's it's you're gonna get a good product if you book me. Meaning, I don't know what the material. Who knows? I could fuck it up, but. <laughs> I'm going to really bring it, bring the heat, and I don't want to bomb either. So I think the word got around on that. And also, I'm a short joke guy, and those shows are perfect for that. You know, you get five minutes. You can't go up there with a whole 10-minute story, obviously. So I think my short jokes work well. And um, do you, like, when you're deciding on the material for something like that, is it what's working at the moment when you're like doing the clubs and stuff, or do you specifically go for like what you think the Colbert audience will like, or what the Corden audience will like? Or? That's a good question. It's a little of both. Uh, you know, obviously the Fallon. You want to go squeaky clean. You want to go likable. You want to go cutesy a little bit. <laughs> and then with uh, Conan, I've got some racial. I've got some gay, some pedophilia, some <laughs> anal, some jizz, some Jews. <laughs> so yeah, I think it depends on the show, but it's all the definitely the material I've been working that that couple weeks and uh, so what are you talking about on stage these days when you get to do like you know your full hour and kind of stretch your legs as it were oh man my full i got an hour now that's really humming baby it's uh it's just everything it's all my wacky thoughts put down on the paper you know just about racial tension and indian people and drinking and anxiety and therapy and uh, PC culture and uh, women, men and women, a lot of stuff like that. So yeah, I, there's no holds barred. <laughs> Running the gamut. Oh yeah. Yeah. So traveling a lot. Are you staying in New York, or are you still based in New York? Actually, I am above my apartment here, but I basically am on the road every week, and I just landed today at about one or two. So I'm wiped and uh, good to be home. Been on the road. So much. I was in L.A. And then my I had a death in the family, so I had to go to New Orleans, see the folks, and all that. And then I did Texas, and now I'm here. 
So uh, what do you get to do when you do have that brief couple of days off? Is, is your mind still working and, and subconsciously kind of observing things, or you just do you shut it down completely and watch football or jog? Or... No, I wish. I'm not a shut-it-down kind of guy. Even a vacation I can't enjoy. So when I get back to New York, it's just right back to home stuff. It's like, all right, pay the bills, uh, check on the apartment, uh, do some city spots, do some clubs in the city, work on new material, write new material, do a bunch of podcasts. So it never ends. Nah, it's, it, it sounds like it's down to a, a pretty good system. Yeah, but it's Sisyphus. You know, you got to get that boulder up the hill, then it rolls down, <laughs> you pick it back up, and then yep. you get syphilis. <laughs> and, uh, and any current events mixed in there? I know a lot of folks are like, they they consciously stay away from it because it's so in our face, and other people are for the same reason. Like, well, how can you avoid it? Because everyone's thinking about it. Uh, yeah, I totally avoid i do it on twitter on twitter i'll write some topical stuff but uh i don't want to put it in my act because it's it's not evergreen oh there you go yeah um but do you do you think it's good like you kind of exercise that muscle via twitter in case you ever get a gig where like hey like you can write some jokes for us totally totally and i think it's just constant uh like people say this Trump is going to be bad for comedy. I'm like, no, no, it's just constant feed of, of <laughs> fodder, of joke fodder. Like, all right, a guy got shot in his balls in Wichita, and then a fat lady fell down the stairs in Kansas. And so it's just the news cycle now is just constant, constant ammunition for jokes. So it's uh, fun because sometimes you're just sitting around going, all right, I need a joke. What's funny? And I, if you do that, you'll never find anything funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get that news story, and all of a sudden, boom, you got a topic to work on. Yeah, I used to write for a, a radio show here in town, and one of the things that I wrote on was a, um, the Paul Harvey news thing. Our host had a really funny Paul Harvey impression. But, of course, you'd have to go through. And, and you could make up the news. It didn't matter, but it always seemed easier to find a story and just put a punchline to it. And, yes, uh, exactly. Yeah, and it was rough though. Even back, you know, this is this is post internet, so there was you know USA Today was online, but it was always really hard to find something because you know people dying. That's not funny. Uh, airplane right. crash, not funny. So, it, but do you, where do you like mostly source your news for things like that, or just for you know even day in the life kind of thing? It's just like sure. Well, I mean, if you hop on Twitter, all the big ones really pop float to the top. You know, like that's true. It's Stormy Daniels, or it's Kevin Spacey, or it's Harvey Weinstein. Like those, the big ones always pop up first. So I just tend to go with that because I feel like if you read a joke about that, more people will see it and get it. Yeah, I'm always bummed. I always uh, I'll see what's trending. I have a, a job where I do a social media community management for a local restaurant chain. And um and I'll see what's trending and I'll think oh, I gotta go to my private account and do a joke about this and I'll run over and then when I get by the time I get to my account and I'm done it's like it's already disappeared from the feed I'm like crap right <laughs> but um sometimes in that case if you find like a weird obscure story you have to capture it and then write the joke above it just to make sure people see what the hell you're talking about oh yeah that's true yeah like well this the um, as we're talking today. Uh, I guess we're. I heard on NPR, and then I actually saw the trending on Twitter. We're going to step aside and uh, and abandon our Kurdish allies in Syria, whilst Turkey runs amok and has some kind of invasion there. And my joke was, so we can assume that uh, Joe Biden is being investigated by Turkey, because uh, uh. 
Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully by the time we get this run, I'll be able to post that one up there. Of course, people listening to this like po- podcast in a week will be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So do you find like, you, you know, in these divisive times, you know, you're a guy that travels the country. Do you do slightly different things in slightly different parts of the country? I know some folks are like, nope, it's the same. It should be funny everywhere. And other folks are like, well, some places you can't talk about these things and other places, you know, you can't. Do you, do you run into that kind of a problem? Uh, yeah, a little bit, but I, I, uh, my act is just, I have no agenda. I have no, like, I'm not trying to change the world or solve anything really. I'm just like, this is what I'm seeing and I'm going to tell you about it. I have no, uh, attempt to like sway anybody politically or ideologically. I just, you know, I go, Hey, I see women doing that. I see black people doing this. I see white people doing this. And I just talk about it. And uh, I heard Patrice O'Neill say once, you can't fuck with the truth. Hmm. So, like, sometimes I'll do a joke if you're like, no, that's not true. I'm like, well, I saw it happen. I don't mean to, I'm not trying to, uh, like, hurt your feelings or anything. I'm just saying this is what happened. Yeah. You know? Uh, Colin Quinn has that great line where he's like, so I got mugged by this Mexican. And somebody goes, hey, how can you, uh, wait, shit. I forgot how it goes. He goes, hey, hey, you can't. You can't say that true story or something like that as a punchline, which is such a great punchline for like the way people are because it really happened. But because it's about Mexicans, people get weird. Yeah. Like, yeah, but that's what happens. I'm not trying to shit on Mexicans. Yeah. Just, you know, just trying to be descriptive. That's all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Could have been anybody. Um, So what would be kind of the ultimate gig for you? Is it a a deal where you want to just be playing bigger and bigger rooms or do you eventually want to do like other stuff with your comedy or are you pretty comfortable just on the stand-up track? Of course, I'd love to do big, bigger things, you know, a show, a sitcom or something like that, but I would only do it just to fuel the stand-up. For me, that's really the the main art choice, the the first love, I guess you'd say. Uh, but yeah, obviously, you know, you want to make some money and my, my ultimate dream would just be like a Brian Regan or a Jim Gaffigan. There you go. Where you can just do your act and people will pack out a theater and, and you can sell another show maybe and it's people who know who you are and get your sensibility and that's all you want. I, I just got back from Texas and it was like, yeah, we got a, we got a light show tonight. You're like, God damn. So not only is that a soul crusher because you're like, well, I got to try to make uh, these 30 people laugh in this room full of 500, but also it stings because that means most of these people don't know who you are. So you got to win them over as well as be yourself and be funny. So you can't just kind of go with the flow and be you. You got to, you got to trick these strangers into liking you. Not trick them, but you yeah, got yeah. to earn it. It's uh, strange. I was, um, uh, Billy Gardell's publicist uh, wrote me and said, oh, he's going to be doing uh, the theater in your town. I wrote my editors and said, oh, we don't have any room, unfortunately. So I wrote back to the publicist and said, well, you know, I don't want to waste Billy's time on a 150-word calendar piece. Uh, so just send me a, a bio and a pic. And I went back and looked and see. I interviewed him like 11 years ago. But this is pre-Mike and Molly. He'd only been on Desperate Housewives and... Um, uh, my name is Earl. 
And he said, wow. at the t- and he said at the time, this was so funny. He goes, "I want to get my own sitcom, do a hundred episodes, and then wind up on a golf course." Well, of course, that didn't happen. <laughs> he has another sitcom now, and he's uh, doing theaters, and good for him. You know, he's a he's a great yeah. guy. But, but it's kind of funny how people's perspectives change when they, like they they see that. That was always Norm Crosby's, uh, not Norm Crosby, Norm Macdonald's. Maybe Norm Crosby's too. Who knows? Uh, Norm Macdonald's goal too was to get that series of his to, and he only got to ninety episodes, sadly, of his ABC uh-huh. sitcom. Yeah, but um. Yeah, and it's weird how the sitcom thing has changed. I mean, I mean, from your perspective, has it changed, or is it still kind of a thing where, you know, that's something people strive for? Because it seems now that you also get the more creative freedom because there's so many more outlets for sitcoms than there was back you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I think sitcoms are so horrifically awful now that uh, I feel like it's all Netflix, it's all Hulu, it's yeah. all Amazon. I don't think anybody's watching those horrible, you know, Chuck Lorre kind of shows. I mean, people are watching them, don't get me wrong, but like, yeah, yeah. Nobody, no respectable comedian could actually make that shit. It's like, because yeah. a comic is all about awareness and, and, you know, you want to put out good shit. And then just to have that, those horrible jokes with the live audience and the fake <laughs> laughing and, oh, God, I couldn't live with myself. I, I would just <laughs> on set going, I'm sorry, this is horrible. What are we doing? <laughs> Well, that's yeah, that's cool. That's why I guess, uh, like you said, the Netflix and the Hulu's of the world at least are giving people more, uh, uh, more freedom to do things. But then you got to really kind of find your niche because you know, yeah, yeah, that's um. Like I said, you just got to get back to finding your audience. And I remember uh, folks telling me back when I first started interviewing comedians, they said, well, you know, a lot of them would say, oh, really, all you got to do is find those, you know, 100, 200 people in Cincinnati, in Milwaukee, in Indianapolis who know who you are, and they show up every time you come to town, and <laughs> you're golden. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. And you got to have new material, and you got to be original, and otherwise the people won't come back. But, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. That's it. Just keep going. If they, get your people. Get your get, Find your tribe. Yes. Cool. Well, that's all I want. Well, great, man. Uh, glad you were able to take the time. What with your uh, just popping back into town and whatnot, and trying to get settled back in. You heading back out on the road this weekend? This weekend, I'm in Chessening, Michigan. Not bragging. <laughs> All right. And then, uh, well, I'm. See, I do this for two cities. You're going to be in Minneapolis for is why I'm interviewing you for this one. And yes, I know you've sir. been to Cincinnati because I used our last conversation. I just recycled that and printed it in the Cincinnati paper. Uh, oh great! Yeah, yeah, right. A little efficiency there. Only have to bug you once a year or year and a half. Uh, yeah. so. I like Cincinnati. I think Ohio, Cincinnati's got a great scene. We do. Cleveland's great. Columbus yep. is great. Dayton's yep. tough, but yeah, I like uh, Cincinnati. I like Dayton. Not sure about the comedy scene. I only was we went up there once when Pardo was playing up there, and because ah. it was only is the only area appearance. And uh, I, my day job, my boss had given me a gift certificate to a restaurant that was right across the street, coincidentally. So we made an evening of it. And uh, yeah. it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we like, we like Dayton as a whole. I think it's very underrated as, an, as a Midwestern city. But Yeah, yeah. Well, so wait, you've been doing this 11 years? Oh, shit, longer than that. Uh, I'm, wow. I've actually, I'm, I'm really old. I'm way older than you. I'm 52. <laughs> Three, wow. shit, fifty. I'm fifty-three. Yeah, I started. I used to write about TV. I started writing about music, then wrote about TV, and then they took away my TV column in the local paper. And I said, "Well, uh, how about comedians?" And at the time, they had just changed editors. The previous editor was like, "We should only interview a comedian maybe once or twice a year." And the new editor was like, "We should be doing this every week." And I was like, "Okay." 
So, and when the economy was good, I wrote for a bunch of papers around the country, and now I'm just down to Cincinnati and Minneapolis, occasionally Denver, occasionally Jacksonville, but, um, yep. So what's the craziest shit you've, like, who have you talked to? Anybody unbelievable, comic-wise? John Cleese. Wow. Right? And I told this publicist, I asked a publicist, could, could I be able to use the audio on my podcast? And they said, we'll get back to you. And they never did, so I didn't say anything. And you can hear John Cleese on my podcast, PS Tape Reporter, hey, John good Cleese. For you. There you go. Um, not comedy, but William Shatner. Hey, Talk to Captain. Cool. Fu- Cap- Legend. Right, Captain Fucking Kirk, man. That is. That was probably the uh, real big. Who else did I? Oh, Steve Martin and Martin Short. They would not what? let would not let me use the audio on my podcast, but the, the publicist told me no way, and they even reminded me right before the call, by the way, you're not using the audio for this on your podcast. Stick man. Wow. Yeah, but they were so good. They, they, I wrote, that was for Cincinnati, I think. <laughs> I can't remember which paper it was for. But talking to them for yeah. 20 minutes, oh my god. Comedy gods. I wasn't worthy. Damn. Right? So, That's amazing. Yeah. So I've talked to a lot of people, and music-wise too, I've gotten talk. I think I've talked to almost all my musical heroes at this point. All right. So, well, hey, yep. you're living the dream too. I am living the dream right down here in my basement, but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> could could be yeah. worse. Well, great, man. I hope we'll see you back in Cincinnati sometime soon as well. Let's go bananas and uh, have fun up in Minneapolis. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, right. thanks man. Bye bye. Thanks again to Mark Norman for being on the show. You can catch Mark in Austin, Texas. Let me see at the Cap City Comedy Club there. This week, following week, he is at the uh, Acme, I believe, in Minneapolis. And then he is going to be, let me see, you know, in Tacoma, Washington. And for all of your Mark Norman comedy needs, go to marknormancomedy.com. And it's like Norman with a D at the end, Mark Standard Spelling. And there you have it. So we're up to the song of the week. And um, it, I, I know I keep going back to kind of some of the same groups, and we're trying to widen the palette a little bit. But this group is an important one, especially in our family nowadays. Uh, it is Weezer. Uh, some people have opinions, but this is their their new single. And apparently the new album is going to be called Van Weezer, and it's a little rockier than, I mean, they've always been a rock band, certainly. But it's a little rockier, uh, I guess, than previous stuff. And it, this one starts out kind of like... Oh, metal esque, I would say, and and Liza was saying that uh, they're everyone's saying that Weezer's gone heavy metal, and at the beginning of this, yeah, it's a little crunchy, and I'll play it from the exact start. I won't talk over the beginning so you can get the full effect, but then it just gets back into you know good old Weezer rocking, and the song is called "The End of the Game," and uh, it's a tune and a half. This is my uh, song of the week on PF's tape recorder. I hope you enjoy it. Here is Weezer, end of the game, PF's tape recorder. So long, and thanks for listening. <laughs> Hey, Sue. 
that phone. 